0: Rough year for your favorite NFL team? Join me, Danny Heifetz, along with Danny Kelly, Ben Solek, and Craig Krolbeck on the Ringer NFL Draft Show, where we talk about all things NFL Draft, and more importantly, how to fix your mediocre team. Check out the Ringer NFL Draft Show every Tuesday and Thursday.
1: This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote vs. the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Callista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC.
0: This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at Viori.com Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons.
1: It is Friday, March 24th. In the world of Hollywood movie studios, there are the majors, the Disneys, the Universals, the small indies like A24 or Neon. There are the streamers that we all know. And then there's Lionsgate. It's a bit of an anomaly in the business, the so-called mini-major. Lionsgate's an independent that makes a lot of lower-budgeted movies. Chances are, if it's got Jason Statham or Gerard Butler, it's Lionsgate. But also bigger swings, like the John Wick franchise. It's got John Wick 4 in theaters this weekend with Keanu. Expected to be a franchise best opening. That's why I thought it was a good time to have Joe Drake on the show. Joe is the chair of the motion picture group at Lionsgate, a real studio head. We had lunch recently, and it was interesting to hear how an independent puts together its slate without superheroes or a ton of legacy IP or the ability to just throw money at movie stars. Lionsgate tries to fill niches that other majors leave open. It did an original musical, La La Land, when that was considered dead. It makes genre flicks like Plane religious movies like Jesus Revolution, which actually made about $50 million domestic last month. It's got horror with the Saw franchise and others. And it wrings money out of a pretty sophisticated international sales operation. The pandemic really hit Lionsgate hard in theaters. So Joe leaned in to doing about 30 multi-platform titles the company distributes every year. That means direct-to-premium video on demand or day-and-date at home in theaters, or selling movies off to streamers, like he did with the recent j movie Shotgun Wedding, which is doing crazy numbers on Amazon Prime Video. He's also trying to create movies that feel theatrical. He's got a new Hunger Games movie this fall, a Dirty Dancing reboot, a Michael Jackson biopic from the Bohemian Rhapsody producers. Lionsgate has a big library, and it also makes a bunch of money that way. It's an interesting time for Lionsgate because it's also for sale. The film studio has a lucrative sister TV studio that makes shows like Ghosts on CBS and Acapulco on Apple TV and The Stars Network. So we're going to get into all that today and the modern independent movie studio. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Joe Drake. Joe is the chair of the Lionsgate Motion Picture Group. Welcome, Joe. Thank you for having me. All right, so big weekend for you. How are the early John Wick numbers? Uh, the numbers last night were
2: phenomenal. We were recording on Friday. The numbers are fantastic. We we uh, had big expectations, and they're being met and exceeded. So very excited at the moment.
1: So will this be the biggest non-Hunger Games Lionsgate movie ever?
2: Uh, it should be. Well, but for tw- the Twilight movies, which didn't originate with Lionsgate, but Ly- the, the, so- those came over right. through summit. Right, but other than those, yes, this will definitely be. It will certainly be the biggest original movie for Lionsgate ever, for sure. Interesting.
1: Yeah, because I was looking. Hunger Games, Catching Fire got to eight sixty five. I cannot believe that movie did that much money. But this one should get over four four hundred, right? Oh,
2: for sure. Yeah,
1: for sure. Interesting. How long can John Wick go? As Keanu said like one Listen, more and I'm out, guys? The thing. I I
2: can't speak for Keanu. What I can mm-hmm. speak for is the audience. You know, we. We started to see uh, when we were putting out three, because usually when you look at these action franchises, they actually decline. Right. And so Mm -hmm. going from two to three, you would expect a decent decline. And you just saw this appetite in every touch point before the release of that film. And that film nearly doubled the first of the second one. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you're like, all right, we can't get bigger the signals we were getting in the last year, wherever we looked, there was just a fever. There was an appetite, which is to say this character is really beloved. Um, Chad and Keanu had to, had to deliver a great movie, which they did. Um, but I don't think we've seen the ceiling yet. I really don't. Interesting. Okay.
1: So I was looking at the numbers, and this movie will likely be the only film from an independent U.S. distributor, not one of the majors, to get into the top 20 of worldwide box office this year. And if you look at last year, excluding China and other foreign films, you had to get all the way down to number 35 with uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once from May 24 to see a film from a non-major studio on the top box office list. Lionsgate wasn't there and others weren't there. How hard is it to compete now in the theatrical market post-pandemic when the expectations for what is quote theatrical have changed and in many ways raised the bar on what is a theatrical movie?
2: I think you'd have to really understand the economics of the film business today and then understand what you say by compete. If compete means I need to be in the top 20 films, um, there's no doubt a lean towards big franchises. What's interesting thing about the business those middle range movies are better than ever before um, and so a movie that maybe did 50 if it does 35 is still a very very profitable exercise and you're feeding an audience that does want to go to the theater i also think we're seeing um, a moment where audience or the, the theater is is the, that theater going experience is becoming more of a habit like it was pre-pandemic we'll see what the numbers are in a year or two um, but what I would say to you is that certainly being in that top echelon of movies, um, that that top 10, top 20 is always a challenge, but there's still an extraordinary business down into movie number 30 and movie number 40 and movie number 50. So I was talking to some Amazon people who were
1: marveling, like frankly shocked at the numbers for the J-Lo movie, Shotgun Wedding and how well it's doing. Do you regret a little
2: bit selling that one off to
1: Amazon? You think it could have played in theaters around Day? Uh, uh, it could have Day? played
2: in theaters, but it was a that was a situation where we um did very very well internationally. We had optionality coming into the US market. Um we were working with Jennifer and her team to figure out best way for that movie to be exploited and frankly that audience for that movie was living more dominantly on that on that platform and so for us we were able to generate what we believe are the same returns mm-hmm. we would have been able to generate theatrically didn't end up having to spend the PA to do that um did what did were in alignment with our talent which was great um and i think ultimately it probably reached its biggest audience that way so i, I do think that there's a world now where you can Be more thoughtful about how you're going to get maximum exposure for a piece of content, and the value should follow. But you're clearly going to do a sequel. Will that sequel be Amazon only,
1: or will you do theaters in this country? Uh, I don't know the answer to that yet. Interesting. So it's interesting. I was looking at the Lionsgate annual report which uh for listeners who want to learn about the film business Lionsgate's a great company to look at if cuz all of the financials are public and it is a pure play entertainment company no theme parks you know not as big a consumer products division you look at how the film studio does you look at how TV does you look at how stars does and within the motion pictures segment the revenue breakdown was pretty interesting theatrical is only 5 0.5% or at least it was in 2022 of 2022, the overall right. of the overall motion picture group segment. Home entertainment is more than half of the revenue. And then television is 21%, international is 20%, and then there's some other stuff.
2: Home entertainment is driving your division. What's interesting that you're talking about is really about all of those home windows and library because some of that is also our library. And what you find out when, you you know, to your to your point of like studying Lionsgate, when you look at our library, our library revenues um, for same time, 18, if you took a period of 18 and a period of 2023, library revenues were up over a hundred million dollars. If you took the static titles in that library, if you took the same population of titles in 18 and in 23... That revenue's flat, which is the great news. Everybody talks about a melting ice cube. The revenues that titles were generating in 2018, those same titles in way downstream windows are generating the same value. That extra $100 million is from new titles um, that we generated during the pandemic, none of them theatrical.
1: Can you explain why a five-year-old Lionsgate movie starring Mel Gibson called Dragged Across Concrete has been the number one movie on Netflix all week? I think it goes back to what I had said.
2: I, I can actually, it's the it's a place. We I know, live. I
1: tweeted about this yesterday. People were like, it's actually a good movie. Like it's it's really well done. I was just like, but like how? how I wasn't is- gonna
2: do the good movie thing. What I was okay. gonna, I do think it's a good movie by the way, but it's this thing I said to you, audiences are all over the place. They're not just in theaters. And, and we specialize in finding content that they want to see and serves them and that movie appeals to a very specific demographic uh, audience and our team works furiously Sadist? Sadist? they don't care whether it's 5 <laughs> years old they don't care whether it's 10 years old if there's an audience in a place they make sure it's in front of them
1: yeah no it's it's a, a crazy phenomenon on Netflix it's like you look at the top 10 and it's all movies that were like kind of hits like that did okay or that kind of came and went, but they had have a big star in them. And people discover them on Netflix and it shoots to the top of the list. It's kind of nuts.
0: This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at vioricom Simmons. Once again, vuor slash Simmons. This episode is brought to you by cars.com.
1: All right, so I want to talk about another one of your movies you got coming out. This movie, Joyride, which is a raunchy, R-rated comedy that you previewed at South by Southwest. We've got that movie coming out this summer. We've got the Jennifer Lawrence R-rated comedy, No Hard Feelings, which is not you guys. You actually were a producer on a movie that I enjoyed called Blockers that came out a few years ago, which was an R-rated comedy. That movie did well in theaters, yet over and over we keep hearing that comedy is dead in theaters. Why is that the case,
2: and why do you think Joyride has a chance? I believe this business is cyclical. I don't think comedies are dead in theaters. I don't think any genre is dead in theaters. I think you have to be a great movie with great execution and a marketing team that knows how to communicate to, to its intended audience to get people to buy a movie ticket.
1: Okay. So how do you do that on a comedy? What makes it feel theatrical?
2: Well, look, we did uh, in, in a prior life, as you say, we did blockers. We did um, good boys. We, at a time when everybody said the comedy was the, the R-rated comedy. Was bad. But those
1: are pre-pandemic. I mean, people say coming out that the expectation is you watch comedies on TV or at home. You do not go to theaters. The only R rated comedy we had last summer was Bros and it flopped.
2: I think, uh, listen, I don't know how, I I know what we're doing to release that movie. I think you're going to have to see. We were, we just previewed in, in South by, as you said. Yep. And when you sit in a theater, and admittedly, South by is a very friendly audience, no doubt, but I've been to a lot of those screenings. I've never been to a screening like that in my entire career. And what it just speaks to is the thing that happens in a comedy that doesn't happen in your home is when the audience gets on the ride early, you're going to have an experience that you cannot have anywhere else. We have another comedy this summer. It's a horror comedy called Blackening. Same thing. And so we have to be able to Mm. translate that experience to an audience before they get into the theater.
0: Mm.
2: They need to feel that pull because it is contagious. It really is that laughter, that audience going on the ride. And so we just believe in the space, again, um, because international values are what they are, because all of the values for downstream revenue in this content um has increased pretty significantly since COVID for a bunch of reasons we get into if you want to talk about it, as well as. We have a lot more information on where the consumer is so we can be much more efficient with spend. So when you put those things together, I believe comedies can do what they did before, but they don't have to, to be really good
1: investments. And you don't need a $20 million star in them. I mean, those two movies you mentioned, Joyride and The Blackening, they don't have me. I get Stephanie Hsu is an Oscar nominee now, but like they're not traditional stars and I've talked to people that said the problem with the theatrical plan for comedies is that you need to pay a star $20 million to get people interested. And what you've done here is you're targeting specific niche audiences in the Asian American audience and in the black audience
2: and hoping to build out from there. Is that right? Correct. That That is certainly a part of the strategy. I would also say, though, that these are stories that have big, big concepts to them. Sure. They at the same time have great characters. It's one of the things you know. We made Joy Ride with Point Grey. We've done a bunch of movies with with uh, Point Grey, Seth, That's and Evan. Seth Rogen's company. Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg and James Weaver and and they're just the best producers in the world at this thing. And one of the hallmarks of their movies is they also have brilliant character journeys where you kind of get all soft and warm by the end of the movie while you've watched some of the most insane things you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And so. Um, I think when you have that combination of things, you don't have to have a big movie star. You also gear your release and your expectations so that in decent success, everybody's done really well. But the history of this business has proven over and over and over and over that a great movie at the right moment in time, you get that breakout hit. Look at everything everywhere all at once. Who would have thought, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so any movie well-executed can can take off. You just need to be able to, you need to have a marketplace that allows you to take these kinds of swings.
1: Well, but that's the problem, isn't it? The marketplace has so contracted for theatrical films that it limits the swings you can take. I am, I believe the complete opposite of your statement. Okay, so, but other than the PVOD window, which, you know, we can talk about, but like, you're not going to do a whole slate of movies that are original and take big shots. I mean, if you look at your slate, you've got John Wick, you've got an adaptation of a Judy Bloom movie. Are you there? God, it's be Margaret, which, you know, is a bit of a risk, but it's at least a title that everybody has heard of. You've got horror, you've got, you know, a raunchy comedy, you've got expendables Four, a new saw film, a new hunger games film. These are your versions of franchises.
2: Yes. So we also have, You just named one joyride, complete original. Black complete original. We just did a movie with Jerry Butler called Plane. We just did a movie called Jesus Revolution. Those movies are incredibly successful for us, and they were all original movies. Did they become the next John Wick? No, but what you but John Wick at one point was one of those original movies. Saw at one point was one of those original movies. So the way we look at our slate, what we're trying to do every year is. We are, of course, going to lean into those brands of ours where there's more story to tell. And because we were just getting back into the marketplace this year, we were very intentional about lining up John Wick, Expendables, Hunger Mm. Games, these these Lionsgate brands. They do two things for us. Um, We believe as standalone movies. They're really fantastic movies. They also you, you see the library lift of prior installments when you release these movies. So those are. We're always going to make that kind of a bedrock of our business. On top of that, though, our entire history has been on creating franchises out of original movies. And what does exist in the marketplace is with international values as strong as they are, and we license everywhere in the world except the UK where we self-distribute, which gives us a certain economic advantage in the business. With what's happening to everyone's rate cards and pay television, what's happened with increased free television values, which is appropriate given the scarcity of theatrical movies and the growth of the number of buyers for those things. You talked earlier about our home entertainment marketplace and how strong that is. And the other part of our business is with talent in tow, we're being much more disciplined about how we spend PA. So, what that allows us to do is do joyrides and do planes and do these movies because we think they have great potential as standalone movies, but it is also the place where we're going to find our brands. Right. We're going to have to go create our own. And and so the, the economics of the business and our creative aspirations are aligned and we believe that the market is stronger than it's ever been for that.
1: So off the top of your head, do you have a break-even number for a movie like Joyride? Like, I, I'm curious about the comedy market.
2: Like, what does would that have to i
1: i would th- i mean I,
2: i'm not really in the business of giving those out to the i public, know guys. i know
1: but whatever i am i am i think that you have to make at least 50 to 70 million in theater to break even yeah given the marketing on that movie it you're going to do a full campaign Very small fraction of that oh really yes how much you spend on that movie that will become public would you spend 10 20 million on that movie we'll spend more than that to make you spent twenty five thirty to make
2: oh Joyride? to make the movie oh to make the movie uh, no it'd be in that range it'd be in okay. the range
1: all right well I listen God bless you if you can make it work for less than that because everybody at the so traditional those, those, studios those
2: movies those movies tend to break at well less than half of the numbers you just laid out so but, you can make a comedy that competes with the studio
1: R-rated comedies and get into profits at less than $50 million. Let me give you, let
2: me give you a different example because it's already been released. Sure. Um, Plane. Yep. Jerry Butler movie. Now we didn't make that movie, but we ended up in the same place. Had we, because we ended up acquiring North America, UK and Latin America. Mm Mm-hmm. And what we paid for that would be the equivalent of what would have happened had we made it, that we paid a significant guarantee for those movies, right, which would mirror would actually be more than uh, uh, what those rights would be here in the States for joyride as an example.: Sure. Um, that movie did 30 million dollars at the box office.:
1: Domestic, and it did another 20 international. But domestically.
2: Sure, right. Did 30 million dollars at the box office. That movie is extraordinarily profitable and ten on a margin basis, 10 points higher at that level of box office than when we greenlit the movie. Hmm. And that's a result of the changing economics of film, period, very simply.
1: I've always said that Jerry Butler is like a low-key genius. Like he knows his brand. He makes the movies. Fantastic. He does well on them. He's fantastic. We love <laughs> Jerry and we love his movies. We've done a lot of great stuff together. Admit it. You were in some meeting where you were discussing titles for that movie, and someone's just said, fuck it. We'll call it Plain.
2: I'm not going to get into how that movie got titled.
1: <laughs> that's loaded, Matt. That's, uh, that's loaded. funny. All right. Um, well, congrats on making that a hit. So, you know, the other thing that's kind of hovering over. Your division is that Lionsgate, as a whole, has been discussed, and the company has been open about about potentially selling or spinning off stars, or you know, doing some kind of transaction. The market cap on the company is only about two billion. Last time I checked, so it would be a, an interesting acquisition for one of these larger global players. Um, how much does that factor into what you do on a daily basis? And do you think that this big slate you've got? this year that is bigger than we've seen in the past few years. Do you think that will be helpful to the company in finding a buyer this year?
2: Um, Well, the company's not actually, to my knowledge, looking for a buyer. I think any company in this business is for sale.
1: Well, haven't they said that they're interested in either spinning off stars and then it was the whole company and then it's back to stars or something like that?
2: No, yeah, I'll I'll clarify it for you. Sure. What they've actually said is they're what we're working on is separating the companies so that there will be two separate companies with separate valuations, separate balance sheets, essentially separate stocks. And, you know, now that I've been running the motion picture group again for five or six years, I think it's probably yep. six years now, is that I'm a, I, it's the right move. And here's the reason why, which is Lionsgate and stars together. When you look at what the motion picture business or better yet, call it the studio between us and television and the kind of contribution we generate, the content we generate, the value of that library, and you look at stars separately it's undeniable when you just do the math that we're worth a lot more than is reflected in our stock price. I think, right. it's a, I think that the marketplace has continued to be confused or unclear on how to value these pieces together. But separate, it's really clear. You're going to see a pure content and distribution business, the distribution business. You looked at the visibility of it yourself, right? If you looked at that through our financials and you looked at television, you said, what are they making? What are they creating? What what is the contribution? And what is the trajectory of that contribution? And you put a market valuation on it, you'd probably get a valuation higher than you just said for the whole company. And so um, it's really about separating these organizations so that there's clear visibility to what each company is generating and doing and they can be properly valued. Um, And those companies then can be clear to focus on their business separately and what's best for them.
1: And obviously if you can say listen we've got a new Hunger Games franchise. We've got two more John Wick spin-off movies coming and we reignited the Saw franchise. That is all very additive in that
2: conversation. Sure. Yeah. I listen, regardless of whether we spin our job is to do what we're doing right now. I do believe that um, in a separation, as does John Feldheimer and Michael Burns and the board, in a separation, you'll have much clearer visibility to what the film and television group are doing as a combined unit and what that business is capable of. And you can just value it separately and clearly. And, and there may be a whole different set of investors for, you know, just public investors who want to invest in a content company versus a platform, right? And so it just makes things cleaner and simpler um, for investors to properly value. If you've been listening to the analyst calls, John's been very clear about um, the idea that I don't think investors are properly valuing the business or seeing the value in it in its combination. So we're just going to clean that up. After that, what happens happens. Our job, yes, if we keep if if we have the year we expect to have and we continue to line up content like this, that should be very good for the company.
1: Last question. What is up with this 48 hours in Vegas movie that you're making about the Dennis Rodman stint during the NBA finals? Is is, is that happening? I saw you cast Jonathan Majors. Is that a comedy? What is
2: that? It is. It is a <laughs> it is a um it's exactly that. You know, one of the most interesting characters on the planet at a very interesting time. We've got a really exciting director that I don't know has been announced yet. Um, so I, okay. I can't say it here. Um, Jonathan Majors has, uh, has attached himself and it is a, it's a big, big comedy with a heart. And
1: a bunch of carousing in Vegas with Pamela
2: Anderson. Um, there, it, it, would, <laughs> it would definitely live within the Lionsgate comedy brand. I would say that. Carmen Electra. Oh, it's sorry. It's Car- <laughs> Craig. Thank you very much. It was Carmen
1: Electra, not Pam Anderson. Uh, that's why Craig is here. So the, uh, yeah, I just make it hard R make it, make this movie, do it the justice that it deserves. That movie will not be PG 13. All right. Thank you very much. (laughs) Joe Drake. Appreciate you coming on the show. I'm already in line for that movie. All right, Matt. Take care. (laughs) All right. We are back with the call sheet. Craig, are you excited for succession coming back? I am, and I'm also okay
3: with it being the last season. I like when shows get in and out and don't stretch it out beyond what they originally planned.
1: Yeah, I'm going to miss it, but it sort of started to lag and repeat itself last season, so I get why they want to wrap it up now. Yeah, and on a high note, I like it. So there's a a dude on Reddit, where I get most of my news, um, (laughs) who has created an over-under of 28.5 for the number of times someone says fuck off on this final season of Succession. So, not just fuck, but fuck off. It has to be fuck off, although apparently he made some exceptions for, you know, Greg says like fuck the hell off or something like that. Okay. But it's 28.5, and it's basically they're using the math here because he says that there have been 82 instances of it over the 29 episodes of the show thus far. So, if you do the math there, That's about 28.5 for this season. Um, Would you take the over or under on there being more fuck-offs this season? (laughs) (laughs) That's a
3: great... It's such a good line. Vegas is really really on the ball here. Uh, Yeah. Why not? I'll take the over. I feel like the episodes might be longer this time around, too. We might have more time for fuck-offs. Well, they're
1: going to play the hits, too. If they know they're going out they're going to have to give us what we want and we want a lot of Logan Roy fuck offs
3: Also, you the ringer.com uh, made a ranking of the best F words in Succession history. They they ranked the 100 best deployments of the word. Oh, what's number 1? Number 1 includes the phrase fuck off. It is uh I'm spoiling it here. Number 1 is Logan saying, "I fucking win. Oh go on, fuck off you nosy fucking pedestrians." Which is I think the second to last episode of season 3 or maybe the last episode of season 3. That's
1: amazing. I need that on a business card. (laughs) You nosy fucking (laughs) pedestrians to his children. Nice, nice. That is the ultimate insult, calling someone a pedestrian. (laughs) Um, All right, so that is actually not my prediction. My prediction has to do with the ratings for Succession because, as we know, this is not a huge show viewership-wise for HBO. It wins all the Emmys, gets all the media elites to watch in New York and L.A., Ah, uh, coverage in The New York Times. like it's, you know, some matter of national security. But <laughs> regular people do not watch this show like they do, you know, House of the Dragon or Last of Us. The ratings for the overall viewership for last season topped out at about seven million per episode and way less on Sunday nights. and for reference, what does like Yellowstone get? Like twenty million? Yeah, twenty I mean, Yellowstone gets about twenty million. I believe on linear yellowstone gets about 20 million on linear and then way more when it debuts on peacock months later right but um i'm gonna i think that this final season they are going to get a boost i think my prediction is that the the last succession season is going to i think all in average like eight or nine million viewers per season i think that enough buzz and enough people have caught up with it over the years that you know there's going to be a crescendo on the ratings. Not huge, but a big bump. I have a second I have a follow-up prediction question for you. Okay. Do you think there will be any succession
3: follow-up content in any way in any fashion?
1: Great question. Uh, I don't think so. Okay. I think Jesse Armstrong the creator is seems he seems like the kind of guy who is going to just wipe his hands of it and say what's next. But, you know, and he's a British guy and in in the British TV tradition, there's long history of coming back to do a Christmas special or revisiting the characters down the line. I think, I think HBO would probably look at a spinoff or some other character to develop. If he had an idea, I don't think they would give this material to anybody else to do. You know, it's not like some you know random writer or even someone in the writer's room would be kind of given a new show like they did with, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, or they just kind of spun it off and Peter Gould took over. I I don't think they're going to do that. But I wouldn't be surprised, maybe down the line. The problem with these shows, though, is it's really tough to get the cast back together. These people all have jobs now yeah, but they've all got reps and you know people that are positioning them. The benefit of being on a show like this is that you know everyone in the entertainment and media worlds is watching. So you can leverage that. They all know who you are. It's not like you're on some random Apple TV plus show that nobody watches, yeah. so all right. that's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Joe Drake. I want to thank producer Craig Hobach, and I want to thank you. We'll see you next week. This
3: episode is brought to you by State Farm.